The sermon text for today is Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. Let's give ourselves now to the reading of God's most holy word. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. He, being the angel, spoke this to John. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants which, what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon, Christ says. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have now come uh, to the conclusion of the book of Revelation, but we have not come to the end of this sermon series. We're going to spend two weeks on the passage that I've just read here. Uh, The conclusion uh, to the book of Revelation does something very important. It reminds us that this book, above all else, is a letter. It's like Paul's letter to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That is Romans 1, 7. Or Peter's letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion, 1 Peter 1, 1. Uh, The book of Revelation was a letter written by John the Apostle to the seven churches that are in Asia, Revelation 1.4. And the conclusion to the book of Revelation reminds us of this fact as it breaks from its cycle of visions to conclude as you would expect a letter to conclude. If you are ever asked the question, what is the book of Revelation? Before you say it is apocalyptic literature or it is prophetic literature, be sure to say that it is an epistle. It was a letter written by an apostle to churches made up of Christ followers for the purpose of edification and exhortation in the Christian life. And what 
is the exhortation that is found within uh, this book. Uh, The book of Revelation, from beginning to end, was written to encourage Christians to walk faithfully with Christ in this world. The book, from beginning to end, discourages worldliness and idolatry as it promotes holiness and fidelity in the worship of the triune God. The book reveals what it reveals, not to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to promote faithfulness and perseverance among those who profess Jesus as Lord. Uh, This purpose, the promotion of holiness amongst believers and faithfulness and perseverance, uh, was clearly established in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Remember that in 1-3, a blessing was pronounced upon the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and upon those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near, Revelation 1-3. And so from the outset, the reader is told that what he or she will encounter in this book is to be kept, which means to obey. From the very beginning, this purpose was established. What is going to be revealed to you in this book is being revealed to you for the purpose of being kept or obeyed. I'm not going to linger uh, too long here for for the sake of time, uh, but certainly you can remember the opening vision of chapter 1, where Christ was seen walking in the midst of the seven lampstands, which symbolize the seven churches to whom the book of Revelation was addressed. Christ was seen radiant in glory and also in holiness. He had eyes of fire, remember, and a sharp two-edged sword proceeded from his mouth. And so one was left with the impression that Christ was about to inspect his churches with his piercing gaze and to speak to what he saw with his penetrating words And that is exactly what Christ did. He spoke to each of the churches that he was seen walking in the midst of, as symbolized by the seven lampstands. Christ's words to those churches are found in chapters 2 and 3. And in each of these letters, Christ encourages holy living, purity in doctrine and in life, and perseverance in Christ to the very end. And so the book begins with this emphasis. Its purpose is to promote piety amongst the people of God, true doctrine, holy living, right worship, and perseverance in Christ to the end. And I think, brothers and sisters, that it can be easy to lose sight of this purpose as someone encounters the string of visions that are found in Revelation 4.1 through to 22.5. Those visions are marvelous, aren't they? I hope that you remember them. I'm sure that you do. It wasn't too long ago that we encountered them. And I thought perhaps you could take some time on this Lord's Day uh, this evening to to thumb through Revelation and be reminded of the marvelous visions that we have encountered in this book. We have seen visions of heaven and of God in Christ who are worshipped there. We saw a sealed scroll We saw a lamb slain who is also a lion. He is worthy to open the scroll. Seals were broken in this book. Partial partial judgments are poured out upon the earth. The souls of saints are seen in heaven. How long, O Lord, they ask. More judgments are poured out. There's an interlude. 
This means that God's people are preserved in the midst of tribulation, for he knows who are his. Then the full outpouring of the wrath of God. Then there is recapitulation. The seals give way to trumpets. More partial judgments are poured out. And there is another interlude. God's people are preserved in the midst of tribulation, for he knows who are his. And then we come to the end again with the full outpouring of the wrath of God. And then there is a portrayal of the conflict of the ages. A dragon is seen pursuing a woman with child. The child is caught up to heaven. The woman flees into the wilderness where she is pursued by the dragon and preserved by God. The dragon is cast down. He continues his assault on the woman and her offspring, who is the church, through the two beasts, one from the sea and one from the land, and also a harlot. These are quickly judged by God in Christ, the dragon also, and those who belong to these enemies of God go to everlasting death, whereas those who belong to Christ go to everlasting life. They are his bride. They go to the place prepared by him for them, that is, the new Jerusalem, that is, the new heavens and the new earth. Are you reminded, therefore, of the many visions that we were exposed to in the book of Revelation from 4.1 on through to 22? Five, and how marvelous the visions of the book of Revelation are. Uh, so marvelous are they that I think many get lost in them. They get kind of wrapped up in, in all of the symbolism and all the imagery of the book of Revelation. And it's easy to begin to lose focus on the fact that this book from beginning to end is given so as to promote holiness in the Christian life. Uh, but we are helped along in our journey through these visions if we keep ever in mind that these visions were given to the churches who were under attack to encourage them to persevere in Christ, faithful to the end. Uh, The visions that we have encountered in this book accomplish three things. One, they show how things are and how they will be in heaven and on earth in the time between Christ's first and second coming. Christians uh, should walk with confidence in light of these things. God is on his throne and Christ is there at his right hand. And they are sovereign over all. Two, the visions make clear the true character of things. For example, the sinful pleasures of this world are seductive. But like a harlot, the world's beauty is only skin deep. Her way leads to death. But the glory of God and Christ is true and it is everlasting. The beauty of the bride of Christ, that is the church, is substantial. And so we are to pursue Christ. This is the message communicated as we are shown the true character of things. We are to flee worldliness. Uh, Once we see the world for what it truly is and God and Christ for what they truly are, we are able to choose the right path as we sojourn in this world. Revelation reveals this to us. And three, the visions of the book of Revelation also reveal where human history is headed Uh, Revelation reveals some general things about the future, not so that we might speculate about the details, uh, saying when will Christ return exactly and who exactly will the beast and uh, their um, the the, the two beasts and the harlot uh, find their ultimate fulfillment, etc. But but so that we might pursue Christ today, tomorrow, until he returns. What we think about the end will have a dramatic impact upon how we live in the here and now. And so Revelation reveals things to us concerning the time of the end. And I've tried to demonstrate this to you over the past number of months, how the visions of Revelation 4.1, 
through to 22.5 are intimately connected to the first three chapters of this book. The visions that we have encountered give the reason for doing that which the first three chapters exhort Christians to do. Persevere in Christ, the first three chapters say. Overcome, the first three chapters say. Worship God in Christ alone. Live holy lives. Flee idolatry. Oppose that which is false. Then the visions of 4.1 and following say, and here is why you should. Here is why you should. For here is the reality of things in heaven and earth today. Here is the true character of things. The world might look so seductive to you, but really its end is death. And here is where everything is headed. Here is where human history will find its end. Therefore, pursue holiness in Christ, faithful to the very end. Uh, The conclusion that we are now considering is very repetitive. It actually consists of a series of five exhortations to live holy in response to what we have heard Uh, The first exhortation is found in verses 6 through 7 of chapter 22. The second in verses 8 through 10. The third in verses 11 through 12. The fourth in 13 through 17. And the fifth in 18 through 22. Uh, We will consider uh, the first exhortation this week, and we're going to consider the rest of them on the next Lord's Day, Lord willing. I did think that this was going to be our last sermon in the book of Revelation, but it wouldn't be the first time that after sitting down to write a sermon, I say, we'd better break this one up into two or more. The first encouragement to holy living comes in the form of a blessing pronounced by Christ upon the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 6 And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then we have the words of Christ himself. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That the conclusion of the book is linked up with the introduction of the book is made apparent by the repetition of this blessing. We encountered a similar blessing at at the opening of the book. In one three we read, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Revelation one three. And here in twenty two seven we read Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And so the book of Revelation begins and also ends with the same emphasis. Obey God in Christ. Keep his word. Live holy in this world. And you will be blessed if you do. And so from beginning to end, the objective of the book of Revelation is to move people to keep the prophecies of this book and to keep means to obey, for that is how the word keep is used elsewhere in the book of Revelation. For example, in 12.17, we read that the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What is the meaning of the word keep there, except that the dragon was furious and he went off to assault, particularly those who are obedient to 
uh, the commands of, of Jesus and hold to his testimony. To keep is to obey God's word. In 14.12 we read, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Again, to keep is to obey, and other examples of the usage of the word could be given. If the prophecies of the book of Revelation were given only for, or mainly for the purpose of revealing the future to us, then it is hard to understand how we could keep or obey these prophecies. You cannot obey a prophecy that simply says, in the future, this thing will happen. Now keep it. Well, how do I keep it? It's just going to happen. But once we settle with the idea that the prophecies of this book were given not to reveal the specifics about the future to us, but in order to promote holy living, then the meaning of this exhortation becomes clear. We are to receive the prophecies contained within this book as true, or to believe them, and then we are to live according to them. The truths revealed in this book concerning God and Christ, heaven and earth, and the end of history demand a response from us now. And we are to respond with faith, believing what is revealed here as true, and we are to respond in obedience to what God has revealed. This is what it means to keep the prophecies of this book. We are to read the book, we are to receive it as true, and then we are to order our lives according to the truth that has now been delivered to us. And brothers and sisters, here is the question that I must press upon you uh, this Lord's Day. Are you keeping the words of the prophecy of this book? Are you living in a way that agrees with the truth that has been revealed here? Are you obeying God and Christ in this world? Are you resisting the world, the flesh, and the devil? Are you storing up treasures in the world to come? Are you living for the glory of God that has been revealed so often in this book? Are you trusting in God as the sovereign king of the universe that he is? Are you keeping the words of the prophecy of this book? And much thoughtfulness is required here. Prayerfulness is required. Lord, does my way of life sync up with what your word reveals concerning this world, the world to come, and your interaction with both? Uh, This is the question that we should be prayerfully asking ourselves each time we encounter one of these visions. Is my life synced up with what is revealed here in this book? Am I living according to it? Am I keeping Uh, these prophecies. I hope that you've been laboring to make application to your lives as you've encountered each of these truths. To be quite honest, it is the most difficult part. It is one thing to understand what is revealed in the book of Revelation. It is quite another thing to live by it, and yet that is God's desire, that we would live by what is revealed here in this prophecy. And do you see that blessings are pronounced upon those who keep the prophecies of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. To be blessed is to have God's favor set upon you. To be blessed by God is to have that which produces true happiness. To be blessed in the book of Revelation is to be blessed with life eternal. The world can provide us with a kind of happiness, can't it? The worldly person is happy 
when all is going well, when the sun is shining and the flowers are blooming, but when storm clouds come, the rains fall and the flowers are washed away, the worldly person is given to despair. And why is the worldly person given to despair when everything goes wrong in this world? Because the world and the things of this world are their treasure, and their treasure has been taken away. And so they are given to despair. But the one who is blessed in God is blessed even in the midst of great trials and tribulations. For the world and the things of the world are not the source of their blessedness, but God who is eternal and unchanging is the source of their blessedness. God is to be the Christian's treasure. And our God does not change, but is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Uh, This is why the book of Revelation is able to pronounce seven blessings upon those who walk faithfully with Christ in this world, while at the same time portraying the Christian life as one of tribulation and struggle. The two things almost don't seem as if they can go together, right? Seven blessings are pronounced upon the Christ follower in the course of this book. And yet at the same time, when we consider the Christian life and what is communicated here in the book of Revelation, it is a war, it is a battle, it is something that oftentimes involves much uh, suffering. And the book of Revelation is not at all shy about the fact of Christian suffering. The Christian life is like a war. The Christian has real enemies. Christians are not immune from trial and tribulation. They should expect to suffer, in fact. Some will even die a martyr's death, the book of Revelation reveals. But the book says that the Christ follower, the one who is faithful to the end and who keeps God's word to the end, is blessed. They have God's favor set upon them. I want you to listen to the seven blessings of the book of Revelation. One, three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You're going to be blessed if you receive this book and obey it. 14.13 And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their deeds follow them. 16.15 Behold, Jesus says, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. 19.9 And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. 26 Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. 22.7, which is our text for today. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then lastly, and we will come to it next week, Lord willing, 22.14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And so who is blessed according to the book of Revelation? It is, is it the one who prospers in this world? No, it is in fact the one who is faithful to Christ, the one who keeps the words of God even in the midst of great trial and tribulation, even in the face of death itself. 
And so, brothers and sisters, the Christian is the one who is blessed. The Christian is the one who should be truly happy, happy with a deep and substantial kind of happiness. And this, of course, is not to say that Christians will not at times struggle with melancholy. Uh, Christians do get depressed from time to time. Uh, They are blessed, they have the favor of God set upon them, but they seem to be not aware of it, and they struggle sometimes with depression. Christians do, from time to time, walk with a dark cloud hanging over them. And the reasons for this can be very complex. I think our confession in chapter 18, paragraph 4, uh, does beautifully acknowledge the fact of spiritual depression, if I can call it that. And it lists possible reasons for it, some of them sinful, but some not. Perhaps the Lord would allow you to walk in darkness for a time in order to refine you and to purify your love for him. Perhaps the evil one would tempt you intensely for a time, and the Lord permit it for the purpose of refinement also. But sometimes our melancholy does come as the result of sin. Sometimes it is actual sin sin in thought or word or deed that does produce this state of spiritual depression within us. Uh, Perhaps you have sinned in word or deed and the Spirit of God has been grieved within you as a result of it. Or perhaps you are sinning in thought that is in the mind. And here I mean you're failing to believe what God has said in His Word. And therefore, you are struggling to have joy in the Lord, and the sense of your blessing in Christ has been taken away. Or perhaps you are sinning in the heart, and you are loving the things of this world more than God. And so here, though you are professing faith in Christ, you are struggling with idolatry. And your heart is really fixed upon the things of this world. And because the things of this world have in your life been shaken, here you are given to despair. It's the kind of despair you would expect from a worldly person. But you, being in Christ, are struggling with idolatry. It is a sin of the heart. You are loving the things of this world more than God. And you are given to despair because of it. You are like the man in the Pilgrim's Progress whom Christiana, Mercy, and the boy saw in the interpreter's house, the one with the muckrake in his hand. Do you remember him from our study of the Pilgrim's Progress? This man could look no way but downwards with a muckrake in his hand. There stood also one over him with a celestial crown in his hand and offered him that crown for his muckrake. But the man did neither look up nor regard but raked to himself the straws, the small sticks, and dust of the floor. And Christiana's interpretation of this man was good. She perceived that this was a figure of a man of this world. The interpreter confirmed her interpretation, saying, Thou hast said the right, and his muckrake doth show his carnal mind. And whereas thou seest him, rather give heed to rake up straws and sticks and the dust of the floor, than to do what he says that calls to him from above with the celestial crown in his hand. It is to show that heaven is but a fable to some, and that the things here are counted the only things substantial. Now, whereas it was also showed thee that the man could look no way but downwards, it is to let thee know that earthly things, when they are with power upon men's minds, quite carry their hearts away. From God. 
and Christiana's prayer should be ours. Oh, deliver me from this muckrake, she exclaimed. And so Christians do struggle in this way from time to time. We find ourselves struggling in our thoughts and with uh, the, the love of our hearts, and we look downward, not even aware of the blessing that is upon us in Christ Jesus, and so we are given from time to time over to spiritual depression. Brothers and sisters, the reason for our melancholy can be very complex. I realize that. But often it can be traced back to sin in thought, in word, or in deed. And often I find that Christians struggle with depression when they fail to see this world as God has revealed it in his word. Nor have they fixed their eyes upon the true blessings that we have In Christ Jesus. The book of Revelation, I think, should help us in this. It shows the world as it really is. It shows us the heavenly realm. It shows us who God is. And it shows us where all things are headed. Friends, let us keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Let us receive the truths that are communicated here and truly believe them in the mind and in the heart. And then let us order our lives According to them, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And why should we keep the words of the prophecy of this book? Why should we do it? Because these words are trustworthy and true, verse 6 tells us. These words are trustworthy and true. And why are these words trustworthy and true? Why should we trust in them and live according to them and believe them as true? Because they are the very words of God. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. God, from the beginning of time, has graciously revealed himself and his will to man. We're going to consider that activity from the beginning of time when we come to our study of the book of Genesis. Uh, This he has done at times through the prophets, and this book is the product of divine inspiration. God sent his angel to show John, who is here numbered amongst the prophets, what must soon take place. Uh, This book is to be read, it is to be believed, and it is to be obeyed because, because it is the very word of God. It is therefore trustworthy and true. We should order our lives according to it. Notice that the things revealed in this book must soon or quickly take place, we are told. And remember that soon is to be understood not from our perspective only, but from the perspective of the original audience who lived over 1900 years ago. And how can it be true then that the prophecies of the book of Revelation would soon or quickly take place when taken from that perspective, the perspective of the first century audience. And three things should be noticed here. One, remember that much of what was revealed in the book of Revelation finds its fulfillment not in a single event at the end of time, but in the time between Christ's first and second coming, as history repeats itself over and over again. There will be many manifestations of the two beasts and the harlot, for example, Put differently, it's not that a beast will arise from the sea once at the end of time, but it is that the sea beast was present and active even in the first century AD. The beast symbolized Rome and the many Rome-like empires that have arisen up to this present day and to the end of time. 
The first century audience did indeed see the fulfillment of these things, as do we today. Two, remember that even the prophecies that will find their ultimate fulfillment at the end of time are partially fulfilled in the time between Christ's first and second coming. Christ will come to judge fully and finally at the end of time, but he does come with partial judgments even now. The book of Revelation has revealed this to us over and over again. Most of the judgments portrayed in the seal cycle and the trumpet cycle, for example, were not final and full, but were partial and perpetual. They were having an effect only upon a quarter or a third of the earth. This was emphasized there. But Christ will come at the end of time to judge fully and finally. And yet his judgment has already come in many ways throughout human history. In other words, things that will be consummated at the end of time have been inaugurated at Christ's first coming. Three, Remember that the prophecies in the book of Revelation that will find their fulfillment only at the end of time, prophecies pertaining to the return of Christ, the bodily resurrection of the just and the unjust, the final judgment, and the establishment of the new heavens and earth, are the next events on the timetable of human history. And in this sense, because they are the next events on the timetable of redemptive history, they are imminent. They are imminent. They could happen now. And when Christ does return, he will indeed return quickly or suddenly. Notice the repeated reference to the imminence or nearness of the fulfillment of the prophecies of this book throughout the conclusion. Verse 6, God sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse 7, Christ himself says, and behold, I am coming soon. In verse 10, John is told, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. And in verse 12, Christ is again heard saying, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And then in verse 20, Christ says, surely I am coming soon. Do you hear how many times it is emphasized in the conclusion that Christ is going to come Soon or quickly or suddenly, his return is imminent. And compare the end of the book of Revelation to the end of Daniel, which is one of the Old Testament books that contains prophecies concerning the end of time. When we come to the end of the book of Daniel in 12.4, we read, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. One is left with the impression that what is being revealed to Daniel is that what has been revealed to you is a long way off. And in verse 9 of Daniel 12, the angel says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that, is, that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days, a number that was used in the book of Revelation also. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. And so at the conclusion of the prophecies of Daniel, delay is actually communicated. The time of the end was a long way off from Daniel's perspective. The time of the end was not imminent for him. 
for Christ had yet to come to accomplish redemption. Daniel was not living in the last epoch of the history of redemption. But for John and his readers and for us, everything communicated in Daniel and Revelation is imminent, for we are living in the last epoch of the history of redemption. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. The Christ has come. He has accomplished our redemption. The only thing left, therefore, is the consummation of Christ's kingdom. Nothing is left to be accomplished except the return of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the final judgment, and the new heavens and the new earth. Christ will come soon or quickly. The New Testament is filled with this emphasis that we are to live constantly ready for his return. For his return and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth is the next thing that we should expect. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for us is that we would understand the book of Revelation and that we would apply it. We must apply it. I've been urging you to apply it all along, but as we come to the conclusion of this sermon series, I must stress this more than anything. I don't know if we have accomplished anything at all, if we have understood the book of Revelation, but have failed to apply it to our lives. We must live according to what it has revealed to us. We must order our lives according to it. And we must ask ourselves very difficult questions, therefore. Am I living well in this world according to the truth of God's word? Am I living as if this place is not my home? Am I living as, this, as if this place is not eternal? Am I living for the glory of God and the world to come and for the establishment of his kingdom in the here and now? I think it is common for Christians to be very interested in eschatology. Uh, many love to study the book of Revelation and to discuss the various views concerning the time of the end. And this we must do. We must study and we must discuss these views and work through them. It is very important that we rightly interpret this book, which, like the rest of the Holy Scripture, was given by the inspiration of God. But we must not forget to apply it. This book is to be kept. It's to be kept. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Let us bow together for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word and for this book that has been such a blessing to us. We thank you for what it reveals. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for myself uh, that we would not stop at simply understanding what the book of Revelation teaches, but that we would do the most important thing of all. Having understood it, Lord, help us to apply it. We know, Lord, that you want for us to live holy in this world. You've called us to. You've made us holy in Christ Jesus. You've taken away our sins through his sacrificial death and his resurrection. We thank you for this. But, Lord, we also know that you are concerned to make us holy, to sanctify us, to purify us. Lord, I know my brothers and sisters in Christ here, and I know myself. Help us in this, Lord. Help us to receive your word with meekness. 
Help us to submit to it. Help us to meditate upon it deeply, to think upon it deeply. And then help us to do it and to keep it. Holy Spirit, help us. Show us where we are sinning. Purify us so that we might bring glory to your name. And it's in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that we pray. And all of God's people say, amen.